Hello and welcome back to OK Stop Whining. It is currently only Carly right now filming this intro. I am in my room in quarantine because I have COVID. Um, But I just wanted to preface this episode by saying thank you so much to Yael for coming on. Um, She's just such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to intuitive eating and health at every size. And so I'm just really excited for you guys to dive into this episode and listen. Um, And if you have any struggles with body image, and eating and any unhealthy relationship with food or you just are looking to kind of improve it and take it to the next level this episode is definitely for you so yeah without further ado let's get into the episode okay so we are very excited because we have a very special guest today we've been waiting to have someone on that is just so knowledgeable about intuitive eating and I know you guys obviously have had a ton of questions this is always a conversation topic for us Um, So I'm just going to introduce her really quick. Yael is a certified coach, integrative nutritionist, and she's a proponent for intuitive eating and health at every size. Not only is she an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, but she also empowers women to reconnect to their intuition, disconnect from diet culture, and redefine their relationships with their bodies. So welcome and thank you so much for doing this with us. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. So I just wanted to get like a little background on you first like how you kind of like where are you from how did you kind of like get started on all of this um yeah just like what that looked like yeah yeah I would say um you know the more I I hear and and see other intuitive eating nutritionists and dietitians out there I realize like my story everyone's story is unique but also my story is not that unique I entered the field of nutrition um, decided to study dietetics when I was in college and came from a place of love and passion for health and food. Um, and yeah, just kind of, you know, thought that nutrition was what I was always taught, which is like this weight centered idea of right and wrong and kind of a lot of morality tied up in nutrition and that your diet basically has to be perfect in order to be healthy, right? Perfect in quotation marks, according to diet culture standards. So I became really wrapped up in that. I also loved to cook. So I ended up going to a plant-based culinary school after I graduated college. Um, And that was a really awesome experience in a lot of ways, but it was a culinary school that also really promoted this idea that there's like one right diet and one right body size for everybody that that is what health is. So yeah, I just kind of caught myself in this web of obsession and anxiety and everything I was learning about food and nutrition, I internalized so strongly. And even though it was all in the name of health, it was like the most unhealthy part of my life um, because there was so much obsession and anxiety and like the social isolation and tracking everything that comes with disordered eating and just really obsession with body size and with being thin. So. Um, my kind of breakout point from that, which I like to call it the diet rock bottom. I think everybody on this journey has this point where it's just like, I can't do this anymore. And there's got to be something else. Um, I was kind of forced into that. I ended up uh, breaking my foot. I had a injury that was related to overexercise, just pushing myself too hard, not eating the right food, not eating enough. And um, yeah, I broke my foot. And so I couldn't exercise for three months. And for me, that was a big way that I dispelled a lot of my anxiety about food and my body. So I was kind of forced to confront my relationship with food and my body and then 
that's when I sought out help um, from a therapist who introduced me to intuitive eating and health at every size. I had never heard of that before. And once I was introduced to it, I was just like, game over. I'm never going back to the nutrition paradigm that I learned about nutrition from. And I was already interested in coaching. I knew I wanted to work with people um, in, in the healing space, but I didn't know what it would look like. So since then, I've just, yeah, really committed to bringing intuitive eating and the principles of health at every size out more into the mainstream. Wow. You and, you and Carly have such similarities in your backgrounds. It's like, it's amazing. Yeah. So my kind of like a brief thing, just so you know about me is like, I um, grew up as a gymnast. So a lot of like hardcore, like exercising my whole life. Obviously my listeners already like know this story a million times. Um, but I also like dealt with like restrictive eating and like kind of like binging cycles in high school. I did ACL injury. Um, and that's what put me out for like a year of like exercise, which is really when I like started to spiral um, with my eating because of the control. Um, and then like later on, like a little bit later after I was starting to like get back into like exercise and stuff again, I discovered intuitive eating like through the book intuitive eating. Um, and that was like the first time I ever had heard of it from like reading the book. Um, and since then I've had like some ups and downs with like disordered eating and stuff, but I'm at a place now that's like pretty good trying to live like a balanced life. So definitely like similarities in that way. Um, but obviously like we talk so much about diet culture and about like how our families affect that. Um, I think like us being a mom daughter podcast. And I saw like you talk a lot about that mother daughter um, aspect. How did you get into that? And like, where did that come about? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I so appreciate that as a, a mother daughter combo that you address that on your podcast and in and, and your work together. Cause it is, I mean, I, you know, it's something that I've experienced in my own life just because most of us have like diet culture and these um, beliefs about toxic beauty standards and body ideals, like it's not new, you know, it's been passed down for generations. And I don't know if you've ever seen those ads from like the 50s that are so ridiculous touting different diets and things, but it's been going on for a while, you know, even before that. So um, I, it was always something personally that was on my mind, but just working with clients in my individual and in my group practice, like it was a recurring theme over and over specifically, you know, like dealing with this, this uh, relationship with our moms and the messages that we get from our moms, whether that was undoing whatever we heard from them growing up or like, as we are trying to now break out of the diet culture paradigm, kind of dealing with our moms who might still be stuck in that and other family members and, you know, um, kind of guardians and that kind of thing. But there's something there about this like relationship with, you know, women and our moms like that is, is really tenuous. And there's a lot, you know, to it. It's not just like that we can heal our own relationship with food. If we constantly have somebody whispering in our ear, which is also something I've heard over and over from folks is like the constant comments and the comparison. And, you know, it's, it, it just kind of came up because I was hearing it so much from people I was working with. And as a mom, I see it all the time. I see it within my friends. I have seen my friends, there's problems within their children. So it's like, keeps spiraling over and over. 
And it's like what trying to figure out what we can do. And I feel like I've, I've learned so much from Carly and I try to kind of send some messages <laughs> to people that I see when they're doing that to try mm-hmm. to kind of stop it without actually saying you're doing this that's harming your child. But it, I, what, what ways can we help my generation stop doing that in a, in a way that doesn't hurt friendships? Yeah, that's a great question. Like actually from, from within that generation, how can we kind of um, facilitate that change? And I think, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that body positivity and intuitive eating is like something that is for the younger generations or like we, it just wasn't like that when we were growing up. This is just how the way it is for us. And I think that that's, you know, like there's a lot of truth to that. The messages are definitely in there more deeply because it's just had more time um, to brew. But at the same time, it's, it is a limiting belief in some ways that we can't change how we think about food in our bodies. So I think that the more um, we have people actually go out and do their own research and learn about these things on their own, um, that's how we stop the cycle. Like that's how we um, kind of, yeah, we can cut it off at the, at least not at the source, but at one of the sources. And that might be like, hey, you know, I just read this really interesting article and I'm curious if you want to reach it. It's kind of different, but it's a new perspective about like eating over the holidays. I'm curious if you'd be interested in reading it or, um, signing up for a workshop together or, you know, whatever it is, like just trying to not from a place of attacking or like pointing the finger, like, I see you doing this thing and that's really harmful, but inviting, you know, inviting and and saying another thing, I think it really helps is using your own experience. Like, Hey, this is something I'm working on in my relationship with my daughter or, um, you know, whoever it is. And would you be interested in kind of sharing that with me? I think that could be really helpful. So for people that kind of, I mean, I'm kind of backtracking a little, but for people that are kind of new to like intuitive eating and the health at every size movement, which obviously are two different things, but like go together in a lot of ways, how would you describe it to someone who's like, maybe my age, but also maybe a little bit older and has kind of been in this diet cycle their whole life? Yeah, my my age, people don't understand it at all. Yeah, I like to think about intuitive eating, which I'll start with first as a way of eating that invites you to check in with yourself and whatever your body is telling or asking of you and making decisions from a place of inner knowing versus external guidelines and, um, you know, just messages that we get from experts out there in the world who are constantly telling us what we should do with food in our bodies. So it really is kind of funny that it's right there in the name, but intuition is the biggest aspect of intuitive eating because what intuition is, is listening to that voice within. And, you know, for somebody who's never heard about intuitive eating, it's like, what do you mean? Like listening to my own voice? I don't know where to start. But the cool thing about intuitive eating is that there actually is a really solid framework that you can work with where it's not like a checklist of things that you have to cross off, but there are really tangible tools that you can use to start strengthening that inner voice and start tuning out all of those external messages. So it's not just like kind of this wishy-washy thing, like, oh, just listen to your body. It's It really is about learning the tools, like 
how to listen to your hunger, how to understand what your body is asking for, you know, how to get in touch with that, with that inner voice so that you can hear those messages. And the biggest principle, of course, or the biggest kind of guiding um, foundation to intuitive eating is releasing the diet mentality, which is what we all, we're all well familiar with this diet culture that we live in, which is basically a system of beliefs and guidelines that tell us that we should all be pursuing thinness at, at any cost. And that thinness is the key to health and happiness, which we know is just not true. And that body diversity and bio-individuality is really real. And that true health comes from listening to our own bodies and giving ourselves what we need versus following some umbrella recommendations about health from somebody who doesn't know anything about your body. Do you feel like that works for everyone, intuitive eating? Like even somebody, I'm going to give an example, like my father has struggled with overeating to the point that he has a lot of health issues and we've always tried to help him over the years. Do you feel like he's always trying another diet? It never works. And we've talked, and Carly's talked to my dad too about trying to eat, do intuitive eating. Is that for somebody that has really struggled for many, many, many years? Or is it just not going to work for him? And not to mention also, like there's also an aspect of the emotional eating slash maybe some mental, like, like some depression or anxiety, you know, there's like that aspect too, that obviously plays a role. So yeah, I'm very curious to, to hear about what you think about that. Yeah, well, it is a great question. I do believe that intuitive eating can work for everybody, but it will look different for everybody. You know, his intuitive eating might look different than somebody who's in a different body, a different gender, a different age, a different history with food. It's all going to look different, but everybody can use the principles to find a way of eating that works for them. And you know, it's funny that you say like he's just been on diet after diet and yet he still struggles with his relationship with food. But that's like usually the culprit when it comes to having a disordered relationship with food is that we've lost our ability to hear that inner voice because we're always outsourcing to a different diet. So right there, it's like his intuitive eating might just look like not dieting and exploring what eating looks like outside of those rules and rigid guidelines. Even you were giving an example before mom of like his breakfast. And then can you kind of talk about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, he try he tries to start off good with maybe like a cup of yogurt, eating something like that, which is always followed by cookies and then another snack of pretzels. And then it's lunch and it's like, it's every single day. So like if somebody that didn't understand intuitive eating, maybe would hear, maybe he Here's it as I'm in the mood for a cookie. I can eat a cookie every day or. My theory with that kind of is like almost like he's like trying. He like it's in his brain so much. I relate to this because of my like issues. I like feel when he's trying to eat the yogurt, like trying to do something healthy. It's almost like it's backfiring because then he's like eating the cookies and eating everything else. It's like instead of just having what he wanted or having what would satisfy him. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is exactly that. There's a lot of backfiring. And, you know, there's so many subtleties to this, but even using language like, oh, he was trying to be good, implying that the yogurt is good and the cookie is bad. 
just that right there will set him up for the mentality of like the inevitable backfiring of like, I was good. So now I deserve my cookie. Um, so what this process asks us to do is actually just, it's hard. It's really hard, but to eliminate all of those um, like barriers about and labels about what is good, what is bad, and to just view everything as food, as nourishment, right? Is a yogurt the exact same in its like nutritional content and physical makeup as a cookie? No, and nobody is saying that, but at the end of the day, they're both nourishment and they both serve us in different ways. So eliminating the, eliminating the idea of what is good and what is bad is a really key part of that. And then um, what ends up happening is it's like a backfiring in a good way of, um, we end up craving a variety of foods from, you know, like both categories, like all foods, you know, all foods fit and become part of our diet. But when we have those rigid labels about what's good or bad, and that's a really good example, but it also might be like, oh, I eat good during the week. And then on the weekend, I let myself eat whatever I want. And then diet starts Monday. Like, that's just a cycle that's really hard to get out of. I know so many people, um, a lot of my followers, friends, so many people go through that where it's like, I can't stop binge eating or I can't stop overeating. And then they constantly are going through this cycle and they're almost like, what is wrong with me? And I know when I was younger, I went through that of like feeling like there was something wrong with me because I was overeating all the time or craving like everything. Um, how does someone that's like in that cycle stop and like, how do they... I mean, I know a lot of these people, they they go through the cycle with the idea of like, I want to lose weight. So it's kind of hard before if they don't cut that out. But yeah, how do you, what's your advice to someone who is currently going through kind of like this cycle where they can't stop binging? There's a cycle, the binge restrict cycle is um, what I like to call it, what you'll hear it called or the dieting cycle. But but yeah, it, it kind of is this ongoing loop. So it usually starts with, feeling badly about your body, which leads to restricting or dieting, um, cutting out certain food groups or reducing your calorie intake or whatever it is, um, which leads to a feeling of deprivation because inevitably after doing that for a certain amount of time, we feel deprived. And then when we feel deprived, that's the thing that kicks into um, what you what we call like primal hunger or like this primal need to make up for calories, both physically, but also mentally, emotionally, just making up for um, the feeling of satisfaction, which will lead to binging. And then binging often makes us feel bad about our bodies. And then that's how the cycle just keeps going. So the truth is that it's really hard to exit that cycle at the binging stage, because binging is actually just like that biological primal response to deprivation. I mean, a lot of it is just biology of our bodies having evolved to respond to famine and starvation. So our metabolic mechanisms for wanting and craving food after a period of deprivation is really strong, really hard to overcome. And our bodies don't know the difference between famine and a diet when it, when it really comes down to it. So I always say it's really hard to leave that cycle at the binging stage. So you have to leave at the restriction stage, right? That's where you can cut it off, which means that if you want to get out of that cycle, the only way to do it 
stop restricting your food and to stop putting those limits and guidelines and rules on yourself. And I like that you bring up uh, that you you bring up that you brought up the point about wanting to lose weight, which yeah, for a lot of people is how they buy into dieting because it sells us this idea of weight loss. But what we actually observe in reality is that the binge restrict cycle can actually lead to weight weight gain and can lead to yo-yo dieting and can lead to weight cycling and all of these things that are worse for our health than if we just kind of stayed at our baseline um, weight of whatever we were doing in the absence of the dieting and the cycling. So even though we think that the restricting is going to help us lose weight, it actually doesn't. Um, it either you know, keeps us just stuck in that cycle or we end up gaining weight or whatever it is. So it's really important to realize again that that backfires too. Um, and so the only way to really address your relationship with binging, and of course, it's not always that simple. There are other factors that come into it. A lot of the time, if you give yourself permission to eat all foods and stop giving yourself those rigid guidelines, the binging goes away. It can be scary. I think for some people, like even when I talk to people about it, it can be scary to just hear those words, like give yourself permission to just eat everything because they're like, holy shit, I'm going to go crazy and eat everything. And when is it going to stop? And they start panicking. Like, is it ever going to stop? Or like you always hear people say like, oh, I can't control myself around chocolate. Just keep it out of the house because I can't control myself. How do we explain that to people that are like having those thoughts that it like will end and that like you have to trust like how do you explain that to people and have them trust themselves yeah the the self-trust is so key and I want to name that it is really scary like starting this process and taking that leap of faith it is really scary there is a lot of uncertainty so it is a really brave and bold thing to do and it does require a lot of self-trust and faith in the process um, which is really hard. So I always, you know, there's, it's really important to just like accept that emotion of fear and, and that feelings of uncertainty and kind of do it anyway, um, which could be true for a lot of things in life. So um, the main thing with that is, you know, I love to use metaphors and kind of like use other situations where we see this happening. So, you know, I like to think about what if you were, you know, like working in the night shift for a month? And you were needing to stay up every day um, through the night and not being able to sleep. And you were really tired, um, but that was just your life for a month. And then one day it ended and you were told that you could now like sleep in as late as you needed and, you know, have total autonomy over your sleep. So for the first couple of days, like for the first few weeks, even maybe you would just like sleep in really late and kind of had this mentality of like, well, I'm in charge of myself now, so I can go to bed whenever I want, wake up whenever I want, um, and just kind of have like this no rules uh, mentality about when you decided to go to sleep and when you woke up. But after a little bit of time, like your body would probably get back to its normal circadian rhythm. Like you'd kind of probably start getting tired at the same time at night, wanting to wake up earlier in the day. There'd be other things going on that you'd want to wake up for. Like life would just kind of even out after a little while. Um, right. So the same happens with food. Like when we take off this restrictive force of 
deciding there is going to be that rebound time of like, oh, I, but I'm, what I'm craving right now is just like the pizza, the pasta, the donuts, like all the sugar. Like I want everything because those are the things that we've been told we shouldn't have the most, right? So there is going to be that rebound time. And that rebound time is actually really important for reestablishing that trust with your body. But what happens generally for most people, um, you know, really give yourself to this process is that after a little while, you start to habituate to food. We call it food habituation, this idea that it starts to become normal. It's not this like really exciting charged food anymore that it was when you were dieting. And you can start to have a more neutral relationship with it. And so over time, as you keep going with the intuitive eating process, all foods start to become more neutral. And just like you would kind of fall into a habit of when you would go to sleep and when you wake, wake up, the same thing starts to happen with food. Like, yeah, you still want to eat the pizza, pasta, and all the delicious sugary things when you're craving them, but you also might start craving other foods that, you know, don't fall into that category of like those supercharged foods that were at the beginning. And so I could say this a million times and it would still be scary because until you experience it for yourself, it's just somebody else telling you what might happen. The best thing to do is start to get that evidence for yourself. Um, you know, if there's like a box of cookies that you can in the house, get like boxes of those cookies and keep them in your house. And for a week, eat as many of them as you want, whenever you want and, and see how you feel after a week. Like I would put money on the fact that you could have these cookies in the house and be okay. And like, not just eat the whole box whenever you see them because we habituate to it. It's not as charged and exciting as it was when it was off limits. It makes so much sense. And I think Carly and I were talking earlier and I never really thought about myself as being an intuitive eater, but I, I think I am. I pretty much eat what I want. And I, and if there's things in the house, like you're saying the a box of cookies or a huge bags of chips, I kind of let myself eat them for a few days. And then I'm like, eh, I'm over it. I'm ready for my orange or whatever. And I never really thought about myself as an intuitive eater until I'm learning a lot about what you're saying. And I think I pretty much eat like that. Yeah, I I would agree with that, honestly. And it's like crazy because for you, it's like always been that way. And for me, it's like something I had to kind of like learn and was scary and go through that process. But before you were saying that, I was going to say like, I see these people that like go to these programs where like, they are taught that like part of their diet and part of their like lifestyle, like getting healthier and getting well is to like not keep these certain things in the house. And I'm like, it's crazy because I'm like, how can that be sustainable? Like, I don't understand how, and like, when is it ever sustainable? You no, know, I think most people are like that. Like they come to our house and they open the cabinet and they're like, wow, you have like, they're naming the things we have in our cabinet. And I'm like, What's wrong with it? Like, I don't understand. And I, I noticed a lot of people are like that. Mm -hmm. um, Mom, from your perspective, like, I know you had, like, kind of some questions about, like, with your friends and with people your age. Yeah. Well, some of this stuff, it makes me a little crazy because I, I love pasta and I love my bread and I won't give it up. And I do, I go, we go out to dinner with couples on the weekends or even the girls during the weekday. And there are so many people that are like, oh, you're going to eat the pasta or, 
oh my God, you're going to eat the bread? And why don't you eat cauliflower rice? Or, or switch my sushi rice to brown rice. I'm like, no, it'll taste terrible. <laughs> I like it. Like, and I just, I don't understand why people are so obsessed and what is going on. And it's so, it frustrates me and it makes me feel bad when I go out to eat and there are certain things that I want. And I feel like I've been, like, it makes me feel bad for ordering the things that I want. And I'm okay eating it. <laughs> And I, I just, I, I wish people would just do what they want to do. <laughs> you know, why do they have to make so many comments about it? And why are people so afraid of all these foods? I'm curious, do you find like in your clients that there's more of a disordered pattern in like certain generations or like, have you spotted kind of certain patterns that are only in specific you know what I mean? Like, have you spotted certain patterns? Yeah, I think there are certain things that um, that kind of still ring true for, for certain generations. Like, and, and part of that is just because of the messaging that constantly changes. Like right now, the big thing is the carbs, right? Like the keto diet is really big and, you know, whatever uh, other diets are going on that are promoting the low carb. But some older generations, like it used to be low fat, right? Or like fat, all the fat free stuff. So I think a lot of the older um, generations will still buy like all the fat free products thinking like that's healthy when actually like research and science does show us that and, and we didn't even need it to show us because it's just, you know, of course, but we need, we need fat. Like we need, just like we need carbs. We need all of the foods in order to function and thrive. So. Um, I think you'll see certain like diet trends that are bigger in certain generations. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't even know like what's going on on TikTok right now with like, the, I heard somebody today tell me that they saw a cucumber made like as a replacement a sandwich. And I'm just like, I don't even know. So <laughs> there's all me. these, the trends. amount of TikTok trends. <laughs> um, Insane. Yeah. But you know, I think it, what you're highlighting too is, I like to say this as well, that I think we have this idea that like we'll grow out of our disordered eating or like we'll grow out of these thoughts and behaviors. But as you're pointing out, Pam, like it doesn't go away and it doesn't go away with age. You know, I've had clients who talk about their mothers in their seventies, like not wanting to eat lasagna or like the birthday cake when it's like, it's it just, it, it stays in there. So it's not something that just like goes away with time or age. We have to actively address it if we want it to go away. Right. And and with me now, and I have in the age group where we're hitting menopause, and that also starts this whole thing about just diet and eating certain foods and getting your stomach flat. And oh my God, it's like, I just, I, I want to tune it out. <laughs> just tune it out. I'm curious also like, people are so afraid of carbs. Like people think carbs for whatever reason, like, as you said, like it's like a fad, but like people think it's like the quick fix. What could you say right now that might convince someone that like, it's okay. Cutting out carbs is not helping you. Like what right. could you tell people? Like and switching the rice, the, the, the brown rice or the white rice. Why can't we just eat rice? Yeah. You know, this is a philosophy I've had uh, it, for a lot of things that relate to nutrition. I just look at, I don't necessarily trust the latest like trendy fat or the diet or what like Dr. Oz is saying this week. I tend to look at 
what have we been doing for thousands of years? Like how has humanity gotten to this point? And we have been eating bread and rice and corn and carbs for thousands of years. Like we have evolved to be where we are today from eating um, carbs and like survived on potatoes when that's all we had. And I see carbs as like a really strong ally and something that has been so important in our evolution. And I just, I, you know, after you learn the science and the biology about how literally every single cell in your body relies at the end of the day on glucose as its main energy currency, like it really just boils down to the fact that carbs are absolutely essential for our health. And when we don't have them, our body goes into like crisis mode and, and does all of these things like, you know, the whole theory about ketones and ketosis of that's like your body's emergency plan to do um, that in the absence of its preferred energy. And I don't want to put my body in a situation where it's functioning on its emergency plan all the time. It's not sustainable, which of course is why these diets are not sustainable. So there is absolutely no reason to worry about eating carbs, avoiding carbs. Like if you like cauliflower, great. Eat cauliflower as a vegetable and enjoy it. But it does not need to be your pizza crust. It does not need to be your rice. It, it can just be its own thing. Um, and there's absolutely no reason to avoid carbs. You can have a healthy, nourishing diet with carbs in it. And there's really no reason to avoid them. Plus, what would life be without carbs? Like at the end of the day, the things that give us joy and enrich our lives like it kind of all comes back to carbs so there's a lot of joy right. to be missed out yeah. um, <laughs> mentally we need them. yeah you're like you need it for you need your it soul. for your soul I need, no i need it <laughs> yeah yeah the other thing i wanted to say and like mom i'm just like fully out here calling out your like age group but the things i also hear is like one the intermittent fasting thing um, where people are like, oh, it's like an accident. I'm just like accidentally just like not eating until 2 p.m. And like I was guilty of this for a while until my mom was like, no, like you need to eat breakfast. I mean, I would I personally would pass out. So that would never work for me ever. And I don't I just don't believe in that at all. I think it's so that's one thing. I'm like curious what your thoughts are on like this whole intermittent fasting thing that everyone's doing. And then also, I mean, it's this in the same beat. It's like people that are just like, oh, I'm not eating all day because I'm like having a big dinner. Like <laughs> what are, what are, what's your thought on that? I just need to know. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'll start with the, with the big dinner thing, but cause um, you know, that right there, like that is just setting yourself up for a disaster, right? Like you're going to be, mm -hmm starving, your blood sugar is going to be all over the place, you're going to get to this big dinner, you're not even be able to enjoy it or talk to anybody who's around because you're going to be wanting to eat the first thing that you see. And you're probably going to overshoot your place of fullness and leave that dinner stuffed and feeling not well. Right. So it's like, again, the mind thinks like I can control this, I can plan, I can budget. That never works, right? The best thing to do and this is important, you know, for holidays and um, things coming up too, is like, eat a solid breakfast, eat a solid lunch, have normal snacks throughout the day, and then get to that dinner and actually be able to enjoy yourself and be present because you're not a hangry mess. Um, so that right there, I definitely do not um, agree with. And yeah, with the intermittent fasting, um, I had my intermittent fasting stage as well. That was like one of my last kind of like trials. Uh, 
before ditching the diet world. But there's actually mm -hmm. a lot of research that's showing that, um, especially for women in reproductive years, um, intermittent fasting really messes with our hormones. So it's not recommended for um, women, especially in the reproductive years and like try, like, I don't, you know, whether or not fertility is something on somebody's mind, it, it really has a, an impact. I think that just shows the impact on our hormones and how dysregulated we can get when we don't eat um, for long periods of time. And then besides that, just in general, it's not recommended for anybody who has ever had a disordered relationship with food um, or who has like blood sugar management issues. Like I know myself when I go too long without eating, I just crash and I'm miserable mm -hmm. to be around. Um, mm -hmm. Like I'm not somebody who has ever forgotten to eat, you know, like it would be very mm -hmm. intentional. That's me. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, there's a lot of impact on our mood and on um, like our energy regulation that it's not, it's not a good thing to be doing. Um, you know, I think that there are some people like, hey, if you generally, uh, genuinely, I would say, wake up in the morning and like you're just naturally not hungry till like 10 or 11 a.m. and then you have breakfast and then you have your lunch later and then your dinner later, like that might just be that person's natural cycle. But I think mm -hmm. it, for most people, it does come as this really convenient way to disguise a diet and just say, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not hungry. I'm not eating till 2 p.m. But your body is probably asking you for food and you're ignoring those signals really intentionally. And at that point, you're really doing a disservice to yourself and your, your body. I'm so glad, A, that you brought up the holiday thing because I know people are stressing right now about, about the holidays and about, you know, starving themselves all day just to like eat that big dinner. So I think that was really important what you brought up. Um, and then what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, also with the intermittent fasting and, and the hormones, who would have thought, I mean, at the same time, like I obviously know that when people are, um, have an eating disorder, often they can like lose their period and stuff, but it's like, you just don't think when you're doing like a harmless fad diet that like you could really be messing with your hormones. So I'm like really glad that you brought that up because it's like something that a lot of us would not think about. Yeah. Yeah. I think our body wants to be stable as much as possible and like keep that homeostasis going. And so the, the more that we can just honor that and eat consistently, um, the better. Um, okay. I have one more question from us and then I wanted to go into the listener questions because there's a bunch. My one last thing from us was about just like exercise and like, how do we incorporate movement in our lives in a way that doesn't become punishment? I know for so many people, including myself for a long time up until recently, exercise was very much like you do this because you're burning off your meal or because this is how you maintain your weight or how you lose weight. So like, how do we, and it, you know, it becomes not a fun activity anymore. So how do we kind of like change that mindset and what can we do to incorporate movement without it being like? a not fun thing. Yeah, such a great question. And the two often go hand in hand, like the disordered relationship with food is often accompanied by the disordered relationship with exercise. Because we've been told that exercise is this tool to lose weight, um, which is not true for a lot of reasons, because it is so beneficial for us in a lot of different ways, mentally, emotionally, and physically. 
Um, but if we're doing it as a punishment to our bodies or specifically for weight loss, it can actually be really harmful. I mean, both of us have had um, like exercise related injuries, right? And the less connected you are to your body and the more you are just moving for the sake of weight loss, the more likely you are to injure yourself at the end of the day. So it's actually a dangerous habit to do that. Um, how we can turn that relationship around, you may have heard the term joyful movement, which um, is used by you know people in this space to kind of reinvent our relationship with exercise since a lot of us have baggage and just negative memories of that word. Um, so I like to think about movement as just any way that you get active in your body, whether that's going for a 10 minute walk around your neighborhood or gardening or playing with your dog outside, dancing around your living room, any way you move your body counts, right? I think fitness culture has sent this message that like, oh, certain movement counts and others don't, like it needs to be for a specific time or a specific intensity. And otherwise you just might as well not even do it. And there's that backfiring again of like, well, if I don't have time for an hour long run right now, I might as well not even do it. But it's like, I have 10 minutes to run around my apartment or do some jumping jacks just to like get my heart rate up and energize myself. Every bit of movement counts. So eliminating that idea that only certain movement is worth it or counts, I think is so important. Um, that's a big one. And then also like that joyful piece of just recognizing that there is, if you don't enjoy a certain type of movement, you don't have to do it, right? Like there's so much pressure to do hit or CrossFit or like whatever it is, a spin class, whatever is being touted by the fitness industry at that time. But what matters most is whatever movement you enjoy, because that is what you will want to return to consistently and with ease. And if you don't enjoy a movement and you're just doing it because you heard that it's burning calories or whatever it is, like at the end of the day, that's not going to benefit you as much as something that you do really enjoy, which you're likely to do more often. So I always say to people, like if you hate doing a certain movement, just drop it and find something else. And that right there can make a huge difference in your relationship with movement in your body. Right. And it's good for you mentally too, to do exercise that makes you feel good. Yeah. And there are so many things out there. Like we forget that like there, you don't have to just stick to one specific thing. Um, so yeah, I love that. Going to the listener questions because there are a bunch. How can I relearn my hunger cues after being so time restrictive or when your mm -hmm. hunger cues are messed up? Yeah, that that is really common to happen. Like um, when you're not used to eating based on your hunger, when you're used to eating based off of yeah time or like whatever portion size you're just given on your on some diet, you're not using that inner wisdom. So your hunger cues can become a little bit muted over time because your body's like, you're not listening to me anyway. So, you know, I'm not going to send those messages as strongly. Um, what I would say first and foremost is just get on a consistent eating schedule, like regardless of having those hunger cues or not, because doing that will tell your body that you are in a secure place with food and that food is coming, um, that it can count on you for that. And so even if you don't have those hunger cues right away, getting into a habit of just like eating regular meals and snacks 
um, can start to stimulate that those hunger cues back because you're in that secure place. So that's what I would say for that. Yeah. There was another question as well that this, that answered too. They said, I can feel when I'm hungry, but not when I'm full. So I tend to overeat and then feel sick. They always have to clean their plate from their parents when they were growing up, telling them to always clean their plate. Um, how do you stop? And that's the same kind of the same response. What you were saying, it's like, just give yourself those meals consistently so that you can trust that there'll be the, the food there. Right. And another one I wanted to touch on, I know we talked about menopause, but somebody had asked a question, um, how do you, when you're going through menopause, how can you, what can you do about the bloating and weight gain? And I guess kind of eating right. And how do you control that? Yeah. You know, I, there's a lot going on with, you know, our bodies at that time. Um, and a lot of it is like not really within our direct control. Like there's just, your body is, um, becoming used to a, a way of being and like a hormonal balance that's really different than it's been for the last so-and-so amount of years. So I think there's going to be some time where it's like just figuring out what works for you. Um, but what I would say to that is what I would say to anybody who experiences a lot of bloating is, you know, just figure out your body and like the things that may or may not be best for you to eat. Like if you know that eating broccoli makes you really bloated, but again, you're always hearing like broccoli is this superfood that you should eat. Well, maybe broccoli is just not the right food for your body. Um, so focusing and on trying to identify like your specific needs when it comes to food. And if you notice that when you eat this food, it makes you really bloated. Well, hey, let's try other foods until you can figure out what's going on. Um, you know, not necessarily needing to um, cut out foods that you're wanting to eat because you think it might help, but actually figuring out for your specific body what might be going on. I even remember like years ago, I used to eat these giant salads for lunch and like I thought mm. I was healthier, but then I would get literally my stomach would be out to here like hard as a rock. And then I realized if I just had like a half a sandwich or like a wrap, I would like feel a lot better. So it's like, you think that something like you're doing for yourself is healthy, but then it's actually like making your body feel worse. So it's like, it, it definitely rings true. Like listening to your body during those times. Mm -hmm. And I had a similar issue to you, Carly, the same thing, eating too much salad. Yeah. So I don't know if it's all the fiber, a lot of the fiber maybe is irritating your stomach. I have the same issue. I think so many people, this is like side note, so many people my age go on these like fad diets or like they'll eat a ton of like veggies or like they'll go vegan and stuff. And then they always end up with stomach problems. And I'm like, it's so like obvious that like what you're doing to your body is like not beneficial. Like if you are like having all these stomach problems and you like weren't before, like the common denominator is like so obvious to me. It's yeah. Like, you know, and no, it's absolutely true. And also like one of the number one reasons why we have bloating or indigestion after eating something is anxiety about food because of that really strong gut brain connection. If you feel anxious or, you know, nervous to eat a certain food, like your body senses that you're less likely to be in a relaxed state where digestion happens at its best. And you could eat, it's almost like even a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes of like, yeah, like you're bloated now because you've been anxious. Like if someone says, you know, like bread is always gives me a stomach ache or always makes me bloated. Of course, like gluten 
allergy and intolerance, those are real things. But I think for a lot of people, it's also getting nervous about eating something can make us not digest that food well. So also just being relaxed about food and again, practicing like eating a variety of foods can help a lot if you're feeling bloated all the time. That's such an interesting point. Like it's so, it's gotta be so true for so many people that are, that are literally giving themselves anxiety. Um, and we think so many people these days have stomach problems. And, and that is, I, I think that is true, but also I, I'm wondering if a lot of that does come from anxiety because there's so many people out there that are online and hear about the harmfulness of dairy and gluten. And so they're eating it and they're like, oh, my stomach hurts. They have an unnecessary, they're not really allergic to gluten or whatever, but they're just, also it was, seems like it was such a fad too. It was like trendy to be gluten-free. gluten-free it's not, maybe not necessary. Yeah, definitely not necessary for everyone. People like in recovery, um, I know that like a big point of like anxiety can be like going out. I know like I've experienced this going out to drink with friends, going out to eat. How do you deal and like overcome that situation? Yeah, yeah, it can be really hard um, because there's less kind of control of the food and, um, you know, there's pressure from other people. Kind of like, your mom was describing like, oh, why are you eating this or that? So there's that factor. Um, I use another metaphor a lot that intuitive eating is like going to a restaurant and instead of asking every single person, like, what are you going to get? What are you going to get? What are you going to get? And then deciding what you're going to get based off of what you hear. It's like first just looking at the menu and ignoring what you think might be the healthiest thing or what you should get. And just actually asking yourself, like, what do I feel like eating in this moment? And what am I craving? What would feel good in my body right now? And not asking everybody else necessarily what they're going to do, just making that decision based off of what you're craving. Um, That's one way. And, you know, I think since I've embraced the intuitive eating um, path, I like to actually like split shared things more with people and not have to just get one thing because maybe I want to try a bite of the burger but like I also want to try the roasted broccolini or whatever it is like you know maybe you can collaborate with your friends and try different things so that you don't have to feel pigeonholed just one thing um or ordering like two appetizers instead of an entree or whatever it is you know give yourself some options there but I think more so than anything else, just give yourself the freedom to order what you really want off of that menu without letting that voice come in of like what you quote unquote should be getting. Um, Because especially because eating out is special and we don't always have access to these foods. Like if you're craving, you know, like the eggs Benedict from this restaurant that you love that you only get from Sunday brunch, get that thing because you're not necessarily going to be able to make that at home, you know? So let yourself get the thing that you're really wanting. And if somebody has something to say about it, just say like, hey, you get what you want. I'm going to get what I want. We don't need to comment on what each other are getting. Like get whatever you want. I'm not going to tell what you what to get. And I don't want to hear your feedback about what I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. And and for the people too that are like going through those kind of binge restrict cycles and learning to um, you know, order the right things, like I think it's important too to listen to your body where you're like, okay even though I know I used to call this food bad, like even though I used to label like a burger as like bad and I would have never gotten that before, like 
it almost kind of, I, this has happened to me where it's like, I cut myself off from really craving something. Like, you know, I'm almost telling myself I'm craving something else just because of like the anxiety of like ordering something. But it's like just telling you, like if your brain is telling you to order something just to like, just to like do it. And it's like not that big of a decision and it's not that deep. Sometimes we can just like do it on the fly and it can like not be like such a big thing. I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah. 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 I like, definitely agree. Like the, that voice comes in of, oh, but I shouldn't get that. Or like, oh, that's way too much or too much of this or too much of that. And when we're working to heal our relationship with food, the most important thing, like the goal is to eat with satisfaction, like to eat the thing that is going to satisfy you, because that is what is going to help you get out of that binge restrict cycle. So if the burger is what you're craving and that's the thing that's going to satisfy you most, that is the best thing for you to get on the menu. That is actually the healthiest thing for you to get on the menu because that's the thing that's going to help you have a healthy overall balanced relationship with food rather than ordering the salad and then getting home and eating 10 different things out of your fridge because you're unsatisfied and you're looking for that satisfaction. Just get the burger and enjoy it and move on. Right. Or like not ordering the dessert, but then going home and like eating a ton of snacks and like lower calorie, like sweet things to like replace the one cookie or the one slice of cake that you could have eaten. It's like almost like just eat the thing that's going to truly satisfy you. And then you can just move on and not think about it anymore. Uh, What do I do when I just ate junk food, but still want more? Have more, like have whatever you're craving. You know, maybe, um, maybe you're craving a specific type of food and the best thing to do is just see that craving through and enjoy it and to be really present and enjoy it. Like let yourself enjoy it. Um, again, I think we put this label of junk food, like it's actually just food and your body needs food every day. So if today what you're craving is like, you know, what we think of as junk food, just let yourself eat it. But the main thing I would say is be present and like sit down and enjoy every bite um, because what's going to make you feel worse, you know, about what you're eating is like, I didn't even enjoy any of it. And I was like, not present, which can happen a lot of the time with binging. So if you're making an intentional choice to eat something that feels scary or like off limits to you, then just eat it. And Again, with this idea of like letting things even out, you could have a whole day of eating like Pringles and Takis and like whatever you want. And then maybe tomorrow, like you'll probably want something light and crunchy and refreshing, or you might want something like heavy and grounding, like a soup or something. You know, it's like we have to trust the natural variety that the body craves. So actually lean into that craving and trust that. Um, your body knows what it wants. Okay, last question. Um, how do I cope with emotions in a healthy way instead of restricting and binging? I know I have to add my own personal thing to this. When I have like my little emotional eating situations, it's always like me in front of my computer with like candy or like something that I think is like bad. Um, but it's almost like you can't help it because you want to get that emotion out. So like, how do you cope with that? And I want to know from this person that asked that, I'm like, I selfishly want to know this too, because it's hard, especially when it's like you, you feel like you need to be in front of a computer and mindlessly eating because it's almost like this emotional ritual. Yeah. That's another really common thing that people experience when they've had 
um, kind of an up and down relationship with food. And it, it kind of all comes back to the same thing because um, there's actually a really interesting research study about this that showed that surveyed different people, like people who consider themselves quote unquote normal eaters, and then people who have kind of that dieting relationship. And when people were stressed out, the normal eaters actually tended to like kind of eat less food or like food wasn't a central part of their way that they were coping. It basically just boils back down to this idea of restriction because if you restrict food, then that food tends to take on this like charge or power over us. Like it provides this sense of escapism and soothing because it's this thing that we can't always have, but now we have. Um, when we're stressed or as a reward or whatever it is, like there are certain conditions around this food. So in times of stress, we're more likely to turn to those foods. When we've done the work of neutralizing food and truly having just um, that, that neutral relationship with all foods, food has lost a lot of that power. So like if you're really stressed, food is not going to necessarily be the thing that soothes you or makes you feel better because it doesn't have that power anymore. So I would say that it still comes back to allowing all foods and working on having eat all foods. And at the end of the day, with this being said, sometimes food is soothing. Like sometimes you want to eat something sweet and warm and comforting. And that's not bad to do when you're stressed. Um, Food is emotional and food is comforting. So that's okay. But I think when you're noticing like that binging start to happen and you're, and you are also restricting, it's an indicator that there's still some there's something to be healed around your relationship with food. Um, Something else with that is when you're experiencing stress or when you're sad or, you know, it's like, yeah, you could still have that food and give yourself that permission to eat that thing. And also ask yourself, like, what do I really need in this moment? Like, what is the thing that would really soothe what I'm feeling? Because at the end of the day, food might help for a little while, but it's not ultimately going to be the thing that, um, really makes you feel better, you know, on the, the bigger picture. So I actually use that as an indicator of like, hey, I'm feeling like really stressed out and I'm wanting to turn to food. Like maybe I, what else is going on in my life? Like maybe I need to get more sleep. I need to call a friend. Like I, it's giving me some clues that something else in my life needs my attention. And I'll still eat the food I want and let it be part of the coping that I am using, but it's not the only thing I'm using because I'll draw on those other tools. And so I think that piece is important too. Yeah, that's so interesting. Thank you so much for like going through all of these questions. I know it was a lot, but selfishly, like I've been so curious about all the stuff and I feel like it's very therapeutic, honestly, to sometimes, even when you do think you're you're recovered and you've been through it, it's like, oh, there are still things that we can always work on and you know, we can always improve our relationship with food and our body. So I've learned so much too from all this. I've really learned a lot, especially about more, more about intuitive eating too. Yeah. Um, so thank you. And plug for whoever doesn't know, what's your Instagram, everything, where can people find you? Oh yeah. So I'm on Instagram at empowered.palette. Um, and I post a ton on there about just, you know, like more insight and tips to dive into this process. So that's a great place to find me. I have a website 
and a newsletter as well that you can find through my Instagram. Um, and thank you both so much. I love, I really do love seeing the mother daughter approach to this because I do feel like there's so much healing that, that needs to happen on the multi-generational level. So I, I appreciate that you all wanted to have me on and to talk about this today. So that is all for today's episode. Thank you again, Yael, for coming on and make sure you follow her. And if you don't already, be sure to follow our Instagram at okstopwhining and to follow both our personal Instagrams too, which are linked on the okstopwhining Instagram page. Love you guys and we will see you in the next episode.